Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. So recently I heard this story. A pilot of a small aircraft, he decided to go out to the airport and he was kind of the only one there. It was kind of a hazy, kind of an overcast day. It's late in the afternoon. He decides to go for a fly himself. He takes off. He's flying for a while. He's in, kind of just enjoying the day. It's kind of hazy, kind of overcast. He can't see a whole lot. But he's kind of enjoying the solitude, being in the plane. As he's up in the air and kind of doing his thing, he, he looks down at his fuel gauge and he thinks, well, maybe I should just try and land. So he comes back. He tries to circle back to where he thinks the runway is. He makes a pass over the airport and as he, he passes by, he realizes that the haze has actually now kind of turned to fog, and now he can't quite see the runway, so he thinks it'll clear, it'll be fine. So he just pulls up, throttles up, makes a pass. He comes around, he's in the pattern again, tries to do the same thing, gets in the pattern, goes over the runway, realizes that it's not going to work, he can't see the runway. Unfortunately, his plane is not... Uh, it doesn't have lights. Airplanes don't have lights like cars have lights. So the, uh, his is not equipped with any sort of lighting, taxi lights or otherwise. And there's no air traffic controller, so he's a little bit concerned. So he comes in, he makes his pass, he realizes that the visibility is still not clear, he still can't see the runway, so he pulls up, throttles up, and he gets back in the pattern, and he does it Again. So he goes and he makes a wide turn and he thinks, well, I'll just wait a little bit longer. And he looks at his fuel gauge. He's getting a little bit more concerned. He, it's going to be just a little bit longer of, of a loop in the pattern. And he comes back and he realizes, yet he still can't see the runway, which means he still has no security of where the runway is, where a building is, where the grass is, where anything is. So he goes over what he thinks is the airport and he does the same thing. He pulls up, he throttles up, gets in the pattern, and goes around the, that fixed point of the airport again. He's starting to get very concerned at this point because now he's running very, very low on fuel. So now with every moment, there's tension building, and as he goes around and he makes a pass, and he throttles up, and he pulls up, and he gets in the pattern and makes one more turn, he realizes that I don't have very many of these passes left, and then I'm going to crash. And at best, he would be able to wreck the airplane, but most likely it would mean his death and a ball of fire. In his desperation, he makes another pass. Now it's starting to become nighttime. The haze has not lifted. He can't see a single thing, but out of out of just the vision in front of him, he realizes that there's this vehicle that's going back and forth with its headlights on. And he can just faintly see the headlights going back and forth and back and forth. And then he starts to realize that that's the runway. So as one last-ditch effort to land this aircraft safely, without a ball of fire, he makes his pass. Fuel gauge running low. It's all or nothing. He comes into the pattern. He's, he, he now he sees the headlights a little bit more clearly, and it's going back and forth and back and forth up the runway. And he realizes he's telling me which way to go. So the pilot comes in. 
He sees it. Now it's becoming more clearly. And now he gets just below the haze. And he, he starts to, to, to have a glimpse as to where the ground is. And he still sees the headlights. And the plane lands. Pilate survives. The plane survives to fly another day. Why do I tell you that story? In our culture right now, many of us are like that pilot. We're, we're in families. There's no perfect family, by the way. There's no perfect family. It's just really the family that you're dealt with, right? Am I right? There's no perfect family. And yet, many of us are like the pilot. Just, we feel like we're running out of gas. We feel like it's a hopeless situation. We feel like we don't know what to do. And we're just waiting and hoping that somebody will be driving up and down the runway so we can get where we're supposed to be without it being a ball of fire, without, without crashing our whole family. And my hope is that this series that is just launching today called Family Dynamics, that this series would be kind of like the, the truck driving back and forth with its headlights on, letting you know it's okay, you can land here. Because the culture that we live in is kind of a scary place. I'm not like one of those conspiracy theorist people. I don't like freak out every time the news comes on. But yet, it's undeniable. If you've looked at the news specifically over the last two weeks, it kind of makes you scratch your heads. There's, there's planes just falling out of the sky, being blown out of the sky. Many things are happening. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or non-Christian this morning. It really doesn't matter. But yet... This seems like a scary place to live. And I'm not a fearful person. There's hope coming, okay? There's hope coming. Jesus is still on the throne. But yet, the day and age that we live in, it requires something of us, and it requires us to, to know that there's safe passage, that there, that there is a way. Now, I believe that the Bible provides that way. As we jump into... Family dynamics, I, I would ask you to open up your Bible to Genesis 1. Shouldn't take you long, you know, a couple pages, go past, go past the table of contents and uh, voila, you're there. I made it easy for you. We, uh, we, we believe that, that God is on the throne at this church. There is hope, there's always hope. If we're breathing, there's hope, Amen. And, and we believe that, that we find hope in a multitude of different ways. And one of the ways that we find it is by looking back to God's Word, knowing that God's Word is the, it is the, the thing that is, is to correct us, to mold us, to train us up in righteousness, if you're a Christian. And, and the Bible is something we should always go back to. Because although we would all agree that our family is not perfect, okay, there, there is no ideal family. There's not. There's not. We're left with, with the actual family that we have that is, that is riddled with mistakes and with grief and with pain and with sorrow. And I could just say the, 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 just the word father. And for some of you, it's just a shrill sound and you just kind of tense up because maybe your father wasn't the father that he was supposed to be. Maybe you hear the word mother and you're like, oh yeah, I wish I would have had one of those. Maybe you've it was an unfortunate stretch in your life where, where your parents split, and maybe you saw it. And then all of a sudden, this other person or these other people come into your life, your stepmom and dad, and you're left with to pick up the pieces to say, okay, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not living like I was anymore, and now I'm supposed to accept this person as if they're my parent, but they're not my parent because my parent lives at a different zip code 
address home right now. So I just want to erase everything that, that maybe you, that I don't want you to, re, I don't want you to think that, you know, this is, hey, we've got it all dialed in and, and, and everything's perfect because the reality of our lives is it's not perfect. Family's difficult and family's wonderful. Family's wonderful. At least it should be. This morning we're going to get back, and the reason why I picked this text, we're going all the way back to the Old Testament. Erasing the, the, the idealistic kind of family because that doesn't exist. And the two people that are mentioned here, they weren't perfect either. As a matter of fact, their two sons, one of them killed the other. Doesn't take very long for things to start, you know, disintegrating. But yet, as we get in here, I, I want us to go all the way back to, to the beginning. And this message is really the introduction for the whole series. But it answers this question. Why did God create family in the first place? Why? Understand the wording of that question. Why did God create family? It was God's idea. But why? For us to even have some semblance as to what we're supposed to do or who we're supposed to be as a family, we have to go back to the foundation of family as it was designed. That's where we find ourselves in Genesis 1, verse 26. Now, this is the creation story. Um, this, the events here are, are, is day six of the creation story. There was a clear separation of, you know, uh, day and night and land and vegetation and trees and animals. All those things had, come, uh, it, had happened. And there was a, a distinct shift in day six that the animals... The livestock, it says in verse 24, the livestock creatures that, that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to the kind, were created. And there is a, 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 a stop there in the creation, but also in day six. Uh, it's amazing how the Word of God, it says, and God saw that it was good in verse 25, which means, hey, there's the end of something and it's the beginning of something. Still in day six, meaning that people are not animals, that God created that there was a stopgap from the animals to people. Verse 26 says this, Then God said, as He spoke into existence, that's how God did it. He's, he's cool like that. He just speaks things into existence. He says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in His own image. And in the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. First thing I want you to see, it says, let us, in verse 26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. God is a relational being. That's the first takeaway this morning. God is a relational being. Before any part of creation, God was in three persons. Before the trees, before the water, before the sky, before the ground, before us, before the animals, before cats, you know. God doesn't make mistakes, but I'll tell you what, I don't know. I just don't really like cats. <laughs> True story. God doesn't make mistakes. Other people enjoy them, but I don't. 
And, but God is a relational being. Way before any part of creation, God was. And God had everything He needed within Himself. It says, let us, that's a plural word, make man in our image, in our likeness. Meaning, hey, there are going to be some things about men and women that are God's attributes. Things that that we share that animals don't share. The fish don't share, the birds don't share, but it's just people that that we, humanity, share. These, These commonalities, if you will, these attributes of God. But God is a relational God. When Jesus taught people, uh, taught us to pray, we'll probably be talking about this over the next couple months, or in a, in a couple months, rather. When, when he was kind of giving instruction in Matthew 6 on how to pray, he says, pray our Father who art in heaven. And you could probably finish the rest of that. Our Father, because God is a race, relational being. Our Father. When Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, that that day that, that was dreadful, and yet it brought such it, the the result of it brought such peace to us. And if you're if you're a, a blood bought Christian this morning, you understand that. And when Jesus was was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying, "Abba, Father," means Daddy. He's praying because God is a relational being at the core of who He is. He is a relational. Being. And He's created us for relationship too. Look at verse 27. It says, So God created man in His own image, and in the image of God He created them. Male and female He created them. God blessed them, and look what it says at the beginning of verse 28. And said to them... That's the only time that happens in the creation story. God spoke. He just spoke and things multiplied. But God speaks to them. And He speaks to them. Because God is extending relationship. And God extends relationship to us. God's desire for you is not so that you would live life apart from Him. He wants you to experience His love and His mercy and His grace. And He wants you to fall into His arms like He is the Creator Daddy that He is. That's what He wants for you. He created you for relationship with Him. Not because He had to. He was good all by Himself. He's a relational being. And He was complete in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was complete. But He says, I want to give you the very best thing that we, that we as people can experience, and that is relationship with Him. That's the best thing He could offer. God blessed them and said to them. And in every relationship, there's some part that's intimidating. There's some part of that. Years ago, when Marla and I were dating, we didn't date too long. I found a good one. I got her quick. She was 15. I had to ask her dad, but I mean, other than that, no, she wasn't 15, sorry. 
But I, I kind of, I, I, you know, you sit back at your life and you realize maybe you've done some things that weren't necessarily right uh, or just a little bit weird. And I realized how intimidating my first, the first uh, part of our relationship was because I had met Marla and it was at her house through mutual friends and went in there and I was just like, I was struck by her. She was funny. She was beautiful. She was witty. She was, you know, a lot of things that I wasn't, to be honest with you. And, and I was just kind of, I was struck by her, and, and we talked that night. And then it was a couple weeks later, of which I still haven't lived down why it took me two weeks to call her. It was like a, a week, two weeks, right? Two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, yeah, unfortunately. It was two weeks. Then I call her. Of course, she's sick in between then, so I seem like a real, you know, a real hero there. Um, but then I call her, and then we go on our first date. Okay. We got in my 1985 vet. Gunmetal gray, red and white pinstripes. They went down the vehicle and then went right up at the end. Did I mention it was a Chevette? Sorry. It was a Chevette. Give me a break. I worked at McDonald's. I was flipping burgers. But we got in that car and and I realized that I had done, now I realize that I've done something wrong. Many of you are going to say, oh, that's so romantic. But at the end of the day, it created, it could have been and probably was very intimidating for her. On that night, don't know why uh, necessarily. I mean, it was just, it happened. So I, I would say that it's a God thing. But I told her the very first date, I said, we are going to get married. Okay. <laughs> hey. Want to go out to eat? We're going to spend the rest of our life together. <laughs> Hope you like me because I really like you. <laughs> I realized this week, though, that that, I mean, how intimidating that had to have been for her. It was either she felt the same thing as me or I was going to be spending a lot of time trying to convince her to feel the same way that I felt. And yet that is, that's intimidating. And I understand that a relationship with God, if you're not in a relationship with God, or if you're just in the beginning of a relationship with God, I realize that that's intimidating too. Because, because you're, you're at that point having to basically give your life to the creator of everything and, and just hopes and, and you're praying and you trust that his purpose is going to prevail over yours. It's pretty intimidating, right? Saying, God, here's the keys to my life. Take it. Do something with it. That's intimidating. That's intimidating. But it's good. I want to share some scripture with you in regards to that. John 6, says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. No one can come to me. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up on the last day. That's some hope. That's some hope. Somebody in here right now is, is sick and ailing. There's hope. There's hope. That, that after we breathe our last day here, that there's something better for eternity. Amen? That's hopeful. That no one can come to to Jesus unless the Father draws him. That's such a profound statement. You see, I realize that relationships can be intimidating, but just know this. God himself is actually drawing you, and he has drawn you to himself. He is he's drawing you in. That's a cool thing, which means it's not all on you. 
but it requires you to make a choice. Because God doesn't make people do things. But no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws them. That's God extending His relationship to us. It says in Leviticus 26, 12, it says that, that you shall be My people. He says, I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be My people. That you'll be My people. As God is extending relationship, that we are identified, if you're a Christian, you're identified in Christ. You are His people. His. His. I understand that it can be intimidating. I, I get it. But just know that, that God is, is working to draw you to Himself. It's not all contingent on you. God is drawing you. This promise, He says, and you shall be My people. Something you probably don't hear very much, and this is Isaiah 7:14. You don't really hear this unless it's Christmas time. This, this promise of Emmanuel, O come, O come, Emmanuel. This promise of Emmanuel is God with what is it? Us. Because God is a relational being, and He invites us into relationship with Him. And when Jesus came, it's it's so that God would be on earth with us. Emmanuel, God with us, among us. And Leviticus, that we would be His people. Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6 says it this way. Speaking of God, He is a father to the fatherless. He is the defender of widows, is God in His holy dwelling. That isn't something that God is just, He's striving for. That is something that God has locked down. That's who God is. He is the Father to the fatherless. And the defender of widows. In verse 6, it says that God sets the lonely in families. Think about how far-reaching that is. That God sets the lonely in families. He doesn't just set the lonely on an island all by themselves so they could be lonely. He sets them in families. That He says, I, at the very core of His existence, He is relational. And He is inviting relationship with people. And He says that God sets the lonely in families. Why would He set it in families? Because the family is supposed to be a place of stability, security, peace, forgiveness, mercy, grace, love, joy, blessing. And it says, Then he leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in the the sun-scorched land. The prisoners. He's talking about people who are who've been imprisoned by their own doing. Point number three is this. The family is the masterpiece of God's creation. It's the masterpiece. I've had the opportunity to go um, a lot of places in the world uh, when I was in the service. 
And on their dime, I got to go a lot of places on my dime. Um, we don't really get to do a whole lot, but, you know, we're blessed in the things we do get to do. But one of the places I got to go was a place uh, in Rome called St. Peter's Basilica. And it's, it's amazing when you walk into that place. I mean, even before you get into the actual structure of it, it's just beautifully ornate in all the statues and all these things. And uh, it's, it's really breathtaking. And I'm not really one who was really drawn into art, but I was drawn into that. And the artist's name was Panini, who, who, who developed all of the, the paintings and all the things inside of that building. And you know what? I would never go through and I would never question Panini to say, wow, yeah, why did you paint that right there? Why did you do that? I think if you were to mix them up, it would be a lot better. You see, as the artist and designer of that place, he gets to choose what it looks like. He gets to choose the design of it, and he largely gets to, to choose the design and the purpose behind it. The same thing is, is with creation and really with the, the family structure. God, it was His design, it was His idea, so He gets to choose what the, the purpose of a family is supposed to be. He, he gets to choose, not us. He gets to choose. And part of that, it says in verse 28, that God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. That's God's plan for the family. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to make babies. Right? And you're going to subdue and you're going to rule over creation. That's the purpose. So take care of it well. Manage your home well. Love your kids well. When you go to work, that's part of, of, of subduing, and you're, you're, it's, it's, you're supposed to be sharing the gospel there. That's, that's one of the big purposes as to why we're still here. That God left us here, that, we are, that, that family is the masterpiece of creation. We are the people who are supposed to be managing and taking care of the rest of creation. Going all the way back, foundationally speaking, to, to the core of the family. What it was designed to do. Multiply, subdue, have dominion over. Take care of, be good stewards of those things. Point number four is this. Family is a part in God's plan of creating life, maintaining rule, and caring for all of creation. To lend to this idea, I want to share another scripture, uh, Malachi 2.15. It says this, has not, the God, has not the one God made you? It's a rhetorical question. He says, has not the one God made you? Has He not made you? He's, he's making you go all the way back to say, okay, uh, uh, all right. I, I'm not supposed to do everything I want to do. I'm not supposed to gratify my feelings. I'm not supposed to gratify what everybody else says that I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go all the way back to, to the guy who created, to the God who created all this stuff and created family to find out what we're supposed to do. And he says, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and in spirit. And what does the one God seek? And look what it says coming up. 
And what does this one God seek? Mac, advance it one, one slide. Godly offspring. Godly offspring. And what does, this, what does this one God seek for you? Godly offspring. That you would, that you would, you would have Christ Jesus as the foundation of, of your marriage. And, and by the way, a family exists before you have kids, just so you know. When it was just Adam and Eve, that's a family. You don't have to have you know, a whole herd of kids to be, oh, now we're a family. No, they are a family. And he says, what I want for you, families, is godly offspring. Because the world that we live in is going to drift and shift and go here and go there. And culture has never been perfect and it never will be perfect. But one of the things that I believe with all of my heart that we're supposed to do as Christians is to redeem some brokenness in our culture. How do we do it? By raising godly offspring. So that our kids would be raised up with a solid foundation of home, built on Christ, a relationship, a marriage that is, that is bonded, or that Jesus Christ is the, is the core of that, and it's, the, the, it's just like a triangle, and all of those that, that, that within the family, it's supposed to be growing toward Jesus, and now you're bringing God the offspring, and they're growing to be like Jesus too. And it says, so be on guard, and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Keep your marriage vows sacred. Keep them sacred. As culture changes, and it's going to change, it has changed. We have to keep the vintage values through all cultural change. We have to, at the core of who we are as Christians. And no family's perfect. I want to share something else. With you, this is from Psalm 127. This just hit me this week. And I kind of glossed over the first two verses of this, but I'm going to read over them right now. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bible, just go ahead and flip open to Psalm 127. I'll give you a second. I knew that we, that we had to go through these first two verses because it sets up what we're going to read in verse 3. Psalm 127. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless Christ is the foundation for your family and what happens in your home, you build in vain. When you go out and you try and give your kids everything that you think that they want, you're building in vain. When you go out and you, you never tell your kids no, and you give them everything you want, and you, you work so hard, and you work overtime, and you spend less time with them so you can give them that, that iPad and that iPod and all that stuff. And I'm not anti-technology, but I am anti-people basically living at work instead of being at home. And just so you know, if you build your family on stuff, you build in vain. Which means it's all going to come tumbling down. Second part, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. 
Oh, think about this, church. If a country is built on some sort of morality that's based on the Bible, just saying, if it is, and yet we choose to pull our country out from under the morality that is based on Scripture, what does it say is going to happen? You tell me. It says that they watch over the city and the watchmen stand guard in vain because it will collapse. It will collapse. It won't stand on its own. If we, if we build our marriages and our country on materialism, on all the things that we can have, we build in vain. If we build, uh, we, we build within our family just so, so that we can just have a great level of happiness, we build in vain. We build in vain. That's, that's not me, that's the Bible. That's, that's verse 1, Psalm 127. And he says, in vain you rise early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. He says, you get up and you go to bed, and you get up and you go to bed, and you get up and you go to bed. And if you don't do it with the Lord as the foundation, you do it in vain. Look what it says in verse 3. This is what's on the screen as well. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. They're a gift. They're a treasure. There's nothing, nothing that I wouldn't do to protect my children and protect my wife. Nothing. They're that precious of a gift. I understand that just in, in a small way how precious they are, and I would do anything to protect them. I hope you do the same. In verse 4 it says, Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, for they will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons in one's youth. Which means the, the purpose of the godly offspring is so that we would release them from, from us in our family structure and that they would be released from us and that they would grow and that, that they would have the foundation of Christ because God is a relational being and He desires relationship for them and because family is the masterpiece of all creation. And that as we would release them and not hold them too tight, but we would release them in the way that they should go. that it would be just like an archer shooting an arrow and saying, ah, you know what? I'm bringing some light into the darkness. I'm releasing my children. And, and they're going to have godly offspring. And then they're going to release their children. And now all of a sudden, a city could be redeemed. Our county could be redeemed. Marriages, strong. Children with, with security, with hope. With Christ as the sinner. With, with men who, who won't sacrifice at work for the responsibility at home. For ladies who, 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 will, who will love the, the husband and, 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 and children in the way that is honoring to God. Instead of chasing lesser things. 
just as an archer releasing his arrow and sending out godly offspring. We wouldn't hold too tight, but we would send them off in the way that they should go. And then all of a sudden, this dark place that we live in, and maybe, I don't know, like I said, I'm not all doom and gloom, but there's, there's positives and there's negatives everywhere. But yet, I, I do believe in, in the power of this passage that if we would release our kids, that we would bring more light to our community. That we would show people there's a better way. That the way of Jesus is a better way. And that it was the ideal way all along. So, family dynamics. Today, it probably didn't seem all that um, applicable. Um, There's a lot of applications starting next week. But for us, my hope and my desire for today is that you would have a true understanding Why did God create family to begin with? Why? Because A, God is a relational God. That he invites relationship to us, not because he has to, but because he wants to. And because family, family is the masterpiece of God's creation. And the family is is a part, a great part in God's plan of creating life, maintaining rule, and caring for all of creation. And the way that we do it is by getting back to the vintage values from the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would just set hearts free. I know there's tension in this room, and and as soon as you say family, people think, ah, yeah, I don't have a family. But yes, you do. You think, well, I'm not married yet. I don't have, this doesn't mean anything to me. Yes, it does, because you have a family. Lord God, we either have the family that, that, that we were given by marriage or by given by the consequence of somebody else's actions. Lord, I pray that you would just abound in grace through us. That we, as even a small church, would make a huge difference in our community. Getting back to the vintage values that you've created. We honor you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.